This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. A few months ago, sometime last year, Brandon and, and uh, Deidre and I were having a discussion and about sermons and what we heard a lot growing up. And Brandon and Deidre both said that every other sermon we heard was on hell. And very scary. And I thought, I don't remember it that way, but I am a little bit older. Maybe I'm not remembering it all. I don't know. So I said, oh, I'm going to go home and put down a sermon together on hell. So I did. Uh, and I guess more specifically today, I want to study about the lake of fire. And you might turn your Bible to Revelation 20. Of course, all the passages will be up here. But we're going to use Revelation 20 kind of for our text. And it encapsulates, in my mind, the idea of judgment. And that's really what the sermon's about, is about a final judgment. So we're going to begin in Revelation 20 this morning and verse 11. <clears throat> He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And the scene that we've just read is a description for you and I of the final judgment the final separation of good and evil, or good and bad, of righteous and unrighteous, and then a final putting away, or we might even say the final punishment that's brought upon the wicked. Now, these passages doesn't really say much about heaven. It doesn't describe the final sentencing of the blessed and those kinds of things. And so it's in a nature, in the sense of the passage, it's a negative passage. And it's a passage maybe we don't like to think about. But I want to go back to Revelation chapter 1. And I want to kind of set a scene for you. This, the book of Revelation is a challenging book. And I suppose anyone who hears, is here today to study the Bible or a little bit of a student of the Scripture knows Revelation is challenging. And I've asked a lot of people over the years, what? What is it about or what does it mean? And the, and the most simple explanation and the, probably the best that I heard was Jerry McCorkle. And he said, Revelation is about a battle of good versus evil and good wins. And that's helped me a lot to understand it. But the very first verse of Revelation says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass... And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Revelation is a book of symbols. He signified it. It was a book of signs. That's the first thing I want you to notice and keep in mind. He signified it to John. 
Things which must shortly come to pass. What does that mean? Revelation is a book of, of signs of things that were going to happen fairly quickly. And now, if, if you're paying attention here today, you're probably going, well, you're talking about the final judgment. And that ain't been quick. It hasn't happened quickly. And you'd be right. That's true. And something that you find as you study Scripture, a lot of times, even in a passage that's things that must happen quickly, there will be a judgment passage. This is true in Daniel. Daniel gives a foretelling of things that were going to happen to the children of Israel. And in what Daniel tells about, he tells about the final judgment. Jesus did the same thing. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes the forecoming destruction of Jerusalem that was only going to be about 40 years later, 30 years later. And he uses phraseology that's prophetic, we would say, and he describes things. In fact, in that passage, he says, some of you are standing here that are not going to taste death till all these things happen. And then in the same chapter, he has a judgment passage. He describes the judgment. And so it's not out of character in that sense that these things are in a book of things that must shortly come to pass. And so I want to take and go through this, and it's pretty simple. The sermon's kind of laid out for us in the passage. And he begins with the great white throne. Verse 11 of Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Now, I don't know that there's literally a throne. Maybe there is. I don't know that. I, I believe what God is describing for us is the authority of the judgment, the authority of God to judge. And the idea that men and women are going to stand before the authority, you see. That's the idea. And I want you to notice he says in particular, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. They weren't looking forward to this. They weren't excited about this. The judgment had been come and they had been summoned there to stand before God. And that's the idea. You know, I went into a courtroom one time. There was a, a court proceeding going on. I knew some of the parties involved. I thought I'll go up there and I'll listen to what is said. And I sat down there and there was a judge and there were lawyers and there were defendants. And they were discussing and there were questions and this all was happening before the judge. And here in a moment, the judge said, we're going to call a recess. We're going to take 15 minutes. And that was kind of what I had seen on TV. And then the judge come back in. He banged his gavel. He said, we're back in order. The lawyer stood up. He said, I reserve the right to call Sean Zebach. And I thought, well, why did I come here? I don't want to be up there. I don't want to answer questions. I thought, I need to go home. This is no place for me. Why? I recognize the authority. There's an authority in God. There's authority in Christ to call every man and every woman that's ever lived to stand before him and answer. You're not going to escape that. And so many people believe that they will. That some way you can be tardy and just miss it. Or some way you could call in sick. Or some way you could have some excuse and go, I don't belong here. It's not the case. You will be there. Because I want you to notice, the throne has the authority to call you. The book of 1 Kings chapter 10, 
Here, verse 18, the Bible says, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind, and there were stays on either side on the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the stays. And twelve lions stood there on the one side, and on the other upon the sixth step there was not the like made in any kingdom." I clicked one head too far. This was the throne of Solomon in Israel. <coughs> and what a magnificent throne. And evidently there wasn't another throne like it. And why did he make such a great throne? Why would it be so tall and surrounded by lions and gold and ivory? Why, did, why would a king do that? Why, why would a king not just put out a folding chair? It shows his authority. It would show his power, his strength and his might and his rule. That's the idea behind the throne. And so we have a great throne in the last scene of judgment. Matthew 25 verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. There's a throne that shows the authority of God and Jesus is going to be there. And he certainly today and until the end comes has the authority to call your name and say come forth and be judged. Number two, he says the dead. In verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before John. This was what the angel of Jesus revealed unto John. A host of people. He describes it as the small and the great. All people. Those who have lived the most insignificant of days. Or the shortest of lives. Those who have been blessed with power. Or wealth, or fame, or fortune, or authority will be there. The presidents will be there. Putin will be there. And Trump will be there. All people of power and of authority. And also the most insignificant and inconsequential. John 5 verse 28 puts it this way. Marvel not at this for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. There's a day coming though you may be dead. Though you may have been dead for centuries. If God calls you, you will come forth just as dead Lazarus came forth in John chapter 10 verse 10. And his sister came to Jesus and said, Lord, he stinks. Lazarus was dead, and I want to tell you, it's just as good to be dead one day as it is to be dead a thousand years or ten thousand years. What's the difference? Dead is dead. And the dead are going to come and stand before Jesus. We're going to hear the voice of our Lord and come forth. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, Where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That day is coming, and it's not going to be avoided. We're not going to escape it. Revelation 20 Verse 13 says it this way. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Now death would be the same as, as what you think of the idea of dying. Those who are in the process of dying or had just immediately died. And hell would mean the grave. The word hell in this instant means Hades or the place where the dead go or the souls of the dead go. 
What he's saying is that death itself and hell or the grave are going to deliver up all the dead that are in them. And then notice what he says, and they were judged every man according to their works. The purpose of the being called forth and being resurrected is to be judged. That's the purpose. To sort out the wheat and the chaff. That's the idea. <clears throat> Number three, he says the books. Again, verse 12, and I know this is slightly repetitive, but I want to put it all in its place. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. What books? He said another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, he describes this another book was opened. He describes it, which is the book of life. He says, and the books were opened. What books? Don't know for sure. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now he gives the answer to the books were opened right here. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. What things were written according to their works? I would submit the books contain our works. The books. The books are a record of your life. A recording. As just like someone was watching and writing it down. It, it, could, it could be just like you were on film everywhere you go. Everything you say, everything that you do, there's a record by God. Now it kind of boggles our mind because maybe we don't keep that good of records. Maybe we don't remember everything so well. I certainly don't. It's hard to me remember what I ate for supper yesterday or, or maybe what I did a week or two ago. But there's a record, and it's been kept by God, a record of your life. Daniel chapter 7, we'll go to Daniel once again. Verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him, thousand Thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousands, time ten thousand, stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. It's a record. When it's time to judge, what's happened? We understand. Call the witnesses. And the witness says, here's what I saw. Here's what happened. And it's the same record it's going to be. The witness is God. He's witnessed your life. He's been there in the good and the bad times. He's been with you day and night. The truth is, He's inside your head. He knows what you think. He knows the secret things that you do. The book of Matthew chapter 12 Verse 36, he says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of therein in the day of judgment. Everything's written down. There's books. And our mind typically would go, Well, how many books? That's a lot of books. Doesn't matter. The books will be opened. Maybe there's a book just for you. Of your life. And certainly every idle word's frightening thought. Every idle word that you've said is written in that book. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether he had according... Let me back up. I goofed that one up. <clears throat> For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. It's all written there. The good, the bad. 1 Timothy 5 it describes it a little differently. Verse 24, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. You know, some, some people's sins, we know about them. Maybe we witnessed what they did. Maybe we heard it. Maybe they, that person confessed it. This is what I did. And we know. He says, some men they follow after. Some men's sins are going to be revealed on the day of judgment. This record that God's kept, these books, got the record. Verse 25, he says, Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. We see the good works of some people. We know that's a good deed, that's a good thing. He's a good person or she's a good person, does good things. We see that. He goes on to say, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. There's some good deeds that people do we don't see, we don't know. They're done in secret. Or maybe a few know. Those things will be revealed on the day of judgment. The books that he describes, part of those books are the record of your life. The second uh, is the book of life he describes there. And I want to talk to you about who's in the book of life. Who will be in the book of life? Well, number one, it's those who have obeyed the gospel. Hebrews 12, 22, he says, But are coming to Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Now listen carefully. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. God has a record. Now he goes and closes this out with, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Names are written in God's book, a book of life. It's the church of the firstborn. The people of God. There are people who accept Jesus and serve Jesus. They are obedient to Jesus and there are people who reject and those who reject Jesus, their names are not going to be in the book. They're just not. Now here in life, mistakes are made and names go where they shouldn't and mistakes like that. These kind of mistakes won't be made. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, he says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. God knows who obeys the gospel. God knows the obedient. He knows every idle word. 
He knows who's come up here and gone down into the water of baptism and confessed the name of Jesus. He knows. And it's very simple. If you'll do that, then he's going to write your name in the book, the book of life. Because when you're buried with Christ in baptism and when you obey the gospel, your sins are washed away and you're cleansed with the blood of Jesus and you're born a new creature to a new life. And when you come up out of that water to living a new life, he gives you his spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you start a new walk and a new life. And if you want your name to be in the book, then you need to be baptized into Christ. You need to make certain. I'm going to tell you, you need to do it today. Today. You want to make sure your name's in this book. Those who have obeyed the gospel, their names are going in the book. That doesn't mean they're going to stay there. Because we've got to live the Christian life. Those who obey the gospel have got to live a faithful and Christian life. Because those who don't obey the gospel, their name's not in the book. You don't have to worry about that. Once you become a Christian, you've got to live the Christian life and follow and serve the Lord. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works. Wouldn't you think that people who prophesy in the name of Jesus cast out devils in the name of Jesus and do wonderful, wonderful works in the name of Jesus, don't you think their names would be in the book of life? But Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, Notice what he says in verse 23. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I don't know you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You want to know how Jesus knows people? It's those who are washed in his blood. That's who he knows. It's those who submit and obey Jesus in baptism and live the Christian life. That's who he knows. Revelation 3 and verse 5 Jesus says he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment we've got to live the Christian life there are challenges in the Christian life there's there's trials temptations and turmoils there's storms of life and we've got to remain faithful And walk the Christian walk. He that overcometh, he says, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Do you notice what he goes on to say? But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Jesus is making you a promise. If you'll become baptized into Christ and be washed in the blood of Christ and live the Christian life and walk the Christian walk, he says, I'm going to confess your name before God. That's what you want to hear. 
You want to hear the lips of Jesus say, Gary Peacock is my son. That's what you want to hear. You want to hear Sharon Brown is my child. That's what you want to hear. Not depart from me. 1 John 1 verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You got to live the Christian life. What does it mean to walk in the light? Walk in the light. You need living the Christian life. You're a person who worships God. You read and study your Bible. You dedicate yourself to try to be like Jesus. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're sinless. It means you do your best to live the Christian life. You'll goof up from time to time. When you do that, you ought to confess that. Ask for forgiveness. Do your best to live the Christian life and walk the Christian walk. You, you can't go take two or three years off from worshiping God. It won't work. You can't be all about this world and this world's goods and the pleasures of life. You need to be about the Lord and serving the Lord. That's walking in the light. Live a Christian life. Serve the Lord. Read and study your Bible. Be a prayerful person. Tell others about Jesus. It, live it. And whatever you need to let go of, you need to let go of. Now, I want to point out something about this. I want you to notice what he says. We have fellowship one with another. He'll know who you are. You live the Christian life. You become baptized and have your sins washed away and you walk in the light. He's going to know who you are. We have fellowship with you. And I want you to notice what he says. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. There's a book with the records of your deeds. And you do a bad thing. Shouldn't have done it. Confess that. Ask for forgiveness. What does the blood of Jesus do? Blots it out. Blots it out. And you live your life. And of course, every once in a while you're going to do wrong. We ought to do the best we can. I'm not giving you a license to sin, folks. I'm not. Because it's not there. But if you'll walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you and blot out those things. And when we meet Jesus on the day of judgment, when we stand before God, what's going to be in the books? Your sins? No. Not one will be there. They'll be blotted out. And we'll have a book of good, a book of good deeds and blessings. And that's what will be there. I want to wrap this up 
the book of life not only has those who live the Christian life, but those who work. And servants of the Lord is the idea. Philippians 4 verse 3, there's not so much on this, but there's a one passage and it's pretty emphatic. Philippians 4 3, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. A yoke is a, a, a harness of labor. Yoke fellow, this is talking about work. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Put effort to helping the church to grow. Put effort to telling other people about Jesus. and Be a worker for the church, for the kingdom of God. And make certain that your name's in the book of life. Number four, the judgment. <clears throat> Revelation 20 verse 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Let's talk about judgment a minute. Who's the judge? Somebody says, well, God's the judge. And somebody else says, well, Jesus is the judge. And well, let's look at a couple of passages. John 5 verse 22, he says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. It would appear to me that God is the judge. He is the authority, but he has committed the judging to his son, Jesus. Romans 2, verse 16, he says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so it would seem to me that God has given authority to Jesus to judge. So God will judge, but it's going to be by Jesus. Secondly, the standard. What is the standard of law? You know, people sometimes go get in trouble in another country and they will make a plea to be judged by the laws in America. And, and those judges in other countries go, you committed your crime in this country, you're going to be judged by the laws of our country. What's going to be the standard? John 12, 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We know what is going to judge us. The standard of God. You can just open up your New Testament and read this New Testament and find out what God wants you to do. What are the laws? What are the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots? They're right here. We're not going to be able to stand before God and say, well, I just didn't know. It's right here. And preachers all the time constantly say, read your Bible, study your Bible. Why? This why? We want to follow and live according to the Word of God. Romans 1 verse 32, he says, Who knowing the judgment of God. Do we know right and wrong? Yes. Yes that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have, no, have pleasure in them that do them. I'll ask you a question. Does it matter if you break the law and don't know? Well, not really. I mean, it's been tried a thousand times. I've tried it myself. I say, officer, I didn't know what speed limit was. It doesn't matter. They don't care. My wife got pulled over one time. We was in Memphis, Tennessee, and she said, was I speeding? He said, yes, ma'am. He said, speed limit in town is 55. She said, I can't even see a town. 
well, there's so many trees you can see. None of the houses or buildings. You know that? She got off. I'd have got a ticket, sure as the world. Romans 2, verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. The standard of God is true. It doesn't change with the politics. It doesn't change with the times or the seasons. It's true. Finally, the sentence. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God has prepared a place. The sentence will be given, and the place will have been prepared. And the judgment of God is not so much a deliberation or we got to try to figure this out like a jury goes back to deliberate because the, God knows what you do. Everything's being written down. And the moment that you die, your fate's sealed and he knows whether you've been good or evil. He knows. And the sentencing will be God passing sentence up on you and you hope and pray it'll be life. For many it will be death. Luke 13 verse 27 says, But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. A sentence will be passed. A sentence will be passed. There'll be no appeal. There'll be no argument. There'll be no further steps. When the sentence is passed, it'll be carried out. And for many, the sentence will be the lake of fire. Is there a little lake, a literal lake full of literal fire? I don't know. There certainly could be, I don't know. It seems to me what he's describing to us, for us, is the most terrible of punishments. Terrible. We associate fire many times as the worst pain, the most painful thing to be burned. And he's describing a terrible punishment. He, he describes it as a lake of fire. Maybe there is a real lake. Revelation 20, verse 14, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God's going to review the book of life, and if your name's not there, then you're going. Go in the lake of fire. And the wicked are going to leave. There's going to be a great separation at that moment between good and evil. Righteous and unrighteous, cleansed and defiled. And the good are going to go into heaven, enjoy the blessings of heaven, of dwelling with God, of being with Jesus and the angels. The wicked are going to go into punishment. Punishment. And there's all kinds of punishment we think of in life today. There's years in prison, there's spankings, and I don't, one I hated was standing in the corner. I hated it. 
We understand punishment or the sinking feeling that we may get when we're told we're going to be punishment. And I want to tell you, there's going to be an awful feeling to come upon you, the most great of sinking feelings to know that God's saying to get away. Go into the lake of fire. And since there's no appeal, we're just going to go. And, and I've had a lot of people tell me over the years, well, you just be burned up and it'll be over. It's not true. That's not true. God can create you a heavenly body that's prepared for eternity in heaven and God can create you a body that's prepared to suffer eternally in hell and not be burned up. Never, never will it end the punishment of the lake of fire. Because the fact is that you've had your opportunities, you've had your chances to obey the gospel to become a Christian. How many invitation songs have you heard? How many preachers have begged you to come forward? How many others personally have said, please, I'm begging you today. When the gavel falls, it's over. Revelation 20, verse 10, I'll tell you about your company in the lake of fire the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever that's the end being surrounded by wicked people by the devil and his workers with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternity. Alone in the dark. That's the lake of fire. Revelation 21 verse 8. He says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. This is the end. It's the place that the wicked are going to be contained for all eternity. Out of view, out of sight of those in heaven, out of thought to just suffer. That's hell. I want to sum all this up and conclude today in Matthew chapter 13 with some of the words of Jesus. We're going to start in verse 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather all things out of his kingdom, gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
Jesus describes exactly what we've read through in Revelation. There's good and there's evil. The devil is working. The end's going to come. And people are going to be gathered up and separated. Sentence will be passed. Life or death. Heaven or damnation. I want to ask you a question. What will he say to you? What will he say? In Matthew 25 verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Is that what you'll hear? The only answer that'll do is yes, yes, certainly. That's what I'll hear. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking, I don't know what I'll hear. Or you're thinking, no, I'm going to hear depart. And you've got to change. You need to change now. We're going to sing a song and you need to come to the front. You need to get in this water. You need to change your attitude in your life. And live a Christian life. Serve the Lord. I know it seems far, far away. And you're sitting there going, it won't happen. It can't happen. It will happen. It's coming. The end of all things. Change your life and change your direction. Let us help you today. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.